The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find unsettling. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Things Are About To Get Weird. I can't believe that this is our 30th instalment of the podcast. And that's not even counting the bonus episodes. It really does feel like we're only just getting started and I'm so grateful that you're here with me for the ride. But if this is your very first time listening, number one, I'm so glad you stumbled across the podcast. And number two, here's what you can expect from the show. There's a mixture of true crime, unsolved mysteries, weird phenomena and unbelievable life tales. Essentially, I love to cover the kinds of stories that are so strange they'll be sure to stick with you for a good while. So if all of that sounds like it's right up your street, you're definitely in the correct place. Today, I'm going to be covering a topic that lots of you asked me to talk about, following our episode about Edgar Allan Poe and the events he appeared to predict in some of his writings. It is, of course, Nostradamus and his book of prophecies and predictions. And let me tell you, this is going to be one divisive experience. I've been so looking forward to diving into this one, and I felt like our 30th episode was the perfect time to do so. Just before I get started, I have a little update for you. As you know, since the podcast launched back in September last year, I've been putting out a new episode every Wednesday, but I'm temporarily going to be switching to posting every other week with the full intention to get back to our weekly episodes as soon as possible. I'm just working out how to most efficiently put out regular editions of the show for you all, and making sure that I'm managing everything in the best possible way with me being a one-woman band. Don't worry though, the podcast isn't going away and I will be back on the 29th with a brand new episode. But I just wanted to give you a heads up. A massive thank you, as always, for your fantastic support. You are truly amazing and I appreciate each and every one of you. So with all of that said, it's time to get stuck into the mind-boggling world of Michel de Nostradam, better known simply as Nostradamus. Let's begin by getting back to basics. Who on earth was Nostradamus? Well, although he has taken on this almost otherworldly reputation as the centuries have gone by, he had a pretty ordinary start in life. Born in France in December of 1503, he was one of nine children raised by his parents, Rainier and Jaume. Although he was a practising Catholic, Nostradamus was of Jewish ancestry on his father's side, and this would have a significant impact on the path he took later in life. During his early years, he was largely taught by his maternal grandfather, who tutored him in subjects like Latin, mathematics and Hebrew. But perhaps most crucially, it was also at this time that he would first start learning about both astrology and certain ancient Jewish traditions, which set into motion Nostradamus's fascination with the idea of destiny. More on that later. By all accounts, he was a very bright child who showed a huge amount of potential, and at the age of just 14, he actually began attending the University of Avignon. To study what, you ask? Well, at the age when all most of us had to think about was basic algebra and how many modifications to our school uniforms we could get away with without getting detention, Nostradamus over here was studying medicine. 
However, his time at this first institution was doomed to be short-lived due to an outbreak of the bubonic plague of all things, and until he could return to his education, Nostradamus ended up working as an apothecary. He was finally able to continue his studies in 1522, this time at the University of Montpellier, and although some reports differ on this, it's widely believed that he earned his licence to practice medicine in 1525. This is when he officially took on the Latin version of his name, and went from Nostradamus to Nostradamus. Now this is definitely the abridged version of what he did next, as I want to focus on his writings for this episode, but for the first few years after graduating, he became a plague doctor, working in both France and Italy, before he found himself in a spot of bother around 1538. A comment he made was taken the wrong way by religious officials in France, and Nostradamus found himself being accused of heresy. Not particularly keen to face any kind of inquest, he decided it was probably best to get himself and his big mouth out of there, choosing to travel around Italy, Turkey and Greece instead. And it was this time spent in Italy in particular that changed Nostradamus's life forever. It's said that after spending some time at the ancient mystery schools in Italy, he had what's been described as a psychic awakening. Legend has it that Nostradamus met with a group of monks on his travels, and after spending some time with them, he had an overwhelming feeling that one of them would eventually become the Pope. He singled out the monk he was positive was destined for the role. And sure enough, in 1585, his prediction came true. Felice Peretti became Pope Sixtus V. Despite not knowing just how accurate this hunch would prove to be, as it would be many years before it would come to fruition, Nostradamus was convinced that he had the ability to foresee certain events. By the 1540s, he felt safe enough to return to France, and he settled back in his hometown before marrying and starting a family. Although by this point Nostradamus had written a couple of medical books, he found himself being increasingly drawn towards astrology and the occult, and in 1550 he wrote his first almanac, which combined astrological information with his own predictions for the coming year. He was experiencing a large number of visions which formed the basis of these writings, and they proved to be a hit. People were demanding more, and by 1555 he had gathered enough information from his visions to write the book he is best known for, The Prophecies. This was a collection of long-term, world-changing predictions that he wrote in such a way as to keep the work safe from further accusations of heresy, mixing languages and writing in four-line poems known as quatrains. After The Prophecies was published, his popularity soared, and he started to catch the attention of some very influential figures, most notably Catherine de' Medici, who was the wife of King Henri II of France. Catherine had read the prophecies in 1555, and was alarmed to discover that Nostradamus had predicted harm coming to her family. She demanded that he visit them in Paris and explain exactly what he had seen in his vision. And when he did so, she was impressed enough to ask him to devise horoscopes for her children. As it turned out, Nostradamus was destined to be a long-term fixture at King Henri's court. 
and he was given a number of roles there, which included him working as a counsellor and a physician. Now, there were a number of prophecies he foretold about King Henri and his family that ended up coming true. Unfortunately for the king, one of these concerned his own death. Nostradamus had a vision that the monarch may perish after sustaining damage to his eye during battle, and advised that the king should steer clear of things like jousting. He even wrote about the vision in one of his quatrains, which in English would read, The young lion will overcome the older one, on the field of combat in a single battle. He will pierce his eyes through a golden cage. Two wounds made one, then he dies a cruel death. King Henri, however, clearly wasn't as deep of a believer in the physician's gift as his wife was, and continued jousting whenever the occasion called for it. Just a warning to skip ahead if you're squeamish, I'll give you a moment to do so. But at the age of just 41, the king was taking part in a jousting match when his opponent's lance ended up going through his helmet and also his eye. Although he initially hung on to life, he passed away from infection a number of days later. And so the prophecy was proved to be correct down to the two wounds made one and cruel death parts. It is worth saying at this point though that not everyone thought Nostradamus was all that. A piece written about him in 1558 described him as a certain brainless and lunatic idiot who is shouting nonsense and publishing his prognostications and fantasies on the streets, which can't possibly have left him best pleased. But in many ways, it would have been more bizarre if he was universally loved, considering the nature of his work. But all of these events rooted in the 1500s aside, what I want to tell you about today are some of the more modern day happenings that are thought to have been predicted by Nostradamus in his book of prophecies, and a few more that didn't work out quite as well. Let's begin with one of the most notable incidents of the 20th century, something which is still referenced and theorised about to this day, the assassination of JFK. As I'm sure you know, John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, was shot and killed as he rode in an open-top car through Dallas, Texas on the 22nd of November 1963. The man thought to have killed him, Lee Harvey Oswald, was never actually convicted as he himself was murdered before he could stand trial. And there are endless theories suggesting he may not have been JFK's killer at all, which leads us to Nostradamus. In one of his writings, he noted that, quote, from on high, evil will fall on the great man, which many have interpreted as a reference to the fact JFK was shot from a distance and by a sniper. In the same four-line quatrain, Nostradamus went on to write, a dead innocent will be accused of the deed, which, as you can imagine, added a huge amount of fuel to the rumours that Lee Harvey Oswald could have been a scapegoat for the crime. The passage also mentions that the true perpetrator will remain in the mist, which is very much the belief held by many who think the truth behind the assassination is much more complex than meets the eye. Now, I think this one is interesting for sure, but as someone who spends so much of her time looking into strange but true stories, it didn't completely shock me. But when I went on to read about this next prediction, I did think at least part of it was pretty odd. 
back in 2006, a man named Mario Redding published a book of his own dedicated to interpreting Nostradamus' prophecies. And he actually went a step further than others, theorising that the index numbers of the original quatrains actually correlate to real dates. And this led him to a very specific conclusion about the 10-22 quatrain, that Queen Elizabeth II would pass away in 2022. The four lines written under this index number were as follows. Because they disapproved of his divorce, a man who later they considered unworthy, the people will force out the king of the islands, a man will replace who never expected to be king. Now, the first part of this is particularly intriguing, as not only would the numbers correlate with a king taking to the throne, but alludes to said king's lack of popularity after a divorce the public disapproved of. I'm sure it goes without saying that Nostradamus believers have linked this to Prince Charles's divorce from Princess Diana, and the effect this had on his likability. But clearly, the second half of the poem is much more of a mystery, as it would appear to suggest an abdication and the possible unexpected ascent of another member of the royal family, which, as of yet, hasn't happened. Mario Redding suggested in 2006 that this unnamed person could be Prince Harry, but I think it's very clear that that particular scenario would be virtually impossible in 2023. Regardless, this link between Nostradamus and the death of Queen Elizabeth last year seemed to spark something in the imagination of the British public, and shortly after her death, Mario Redding's book, which is entitled Nostradamus, The Complete Prophecies for the Future, actually shot to the top of the Sunday Times bestsellers list. And I must say, this one is intriguing, especially when you consider all of the numerous divides within the royal family at the moment. I can just imagine that the people who bought the book last year were curious to see whether they could match up any other dates within the prophecies to other historical events, or if they could decipher any new links that have come to light since Redding's book was first published in 2006. Mario Redding actually passed away himself in 2017, but his son Laurie seems to be just as intrigued as his dad was about Nostradamus. In an article from The Guardian, it's noted that Laurie believes one of the predictions could be referring to arguably one of the most controversial figures of our modern times, none other than Elon Musk. Quatrain 5-23, which has been tied to the year 2023, reads... The two contenders will unite together, where most others unite with Mars. The African leader is fearful and trembles. The dual alliance is separated by the fleet. And with the mention of both Mars and an African leader in the same writing, it's understandable why parallels have been drawn with South African-born Elon Musk. But the context of the quatrain as a whole is pretty confusing. Who are the two contenders? Why would the Elon Musk figure be fearful and trembling? The Guardian piece notes that there's another Nostradamus verse which mentions Mars and reads, The light of Mars will go out. 
This line has been interpreted to mean that any attempt to colonise the red planet will fail, and that perhaps the spotlight put on it will fade. And once again, I think there are some elements of this that really do make you pause and raise an eyebrow, and wonder whether there could be something to it. Perhaps it's that we don't have all the information yet to truly understand what it means. Or maybe it's only partially accurate. Whatever the case may be, this is far from being the only example of Nostradamus writing about planetary matters. There are those who argue that he prophesied about climate change when he wrote the words, For 40 years the rainbow will not be seen. For 40 years it will be seen every day. The dry earth will grow more parched, and there will be great floods when it is seen. But for every one of his supposed predictions that do feel somewhat compelling, there are a number of others cited by his dedicated believers that make you feel like it's all a bit of a stretch, including one of the most famous examples, which is anything but what it appears on the surface. If you're a person who has spent any time at all on the internet, you'll be well aware just how many conspiracy theories there are about events such as 9-11. So it's no real surprise that Nostradamus's name has been brought in when discussing the awful events of the 11th of September 2001, with the first instances taking place shortly after the attacks. An apparent Nostradamus writing started to circulate, which appeared to reference the events that took place in New York City on 9-11, reading... Two steel birds will fall from the sky on the metropolis. The sky will burn at 45 degrees latitude. Fire approaches the great new city. Immediately a huge scattered flame leaps up. Within months, rivers will flow with blood. The undead will roam the earth for little time. As this gained traction, people understandably correlated the lines with what happened during the attacks on the Twin Towers. An article from NBC News points out that one of the clearest links that believers latched onto was the fact that New York City does lie at around 40 degrees north latitude, and I don't think I need to explain the significance of the two steel birds reference. But there were numerous issues with the writing. Firstly, it's not written in his classic four-line quatrain style. And additionally, there's simply no way that the steel birds part was real. The notion of anything even remotely resembling a steel aeroplane is so far removed from what he could have conceived of during the 1500s that it feels like a very obvious modern addition. And as it turns out, this verse was a mashup of some of Nostradamus's writings and some extra lines fabricated by an unknown person. But as I say often on this podcast, misinformation is so easy to spread now. And this is an example of how this was beginning to happen online even back in the early 2000s. But hoaxes aside, there are a few other famous predictions attributed to Nostradamus that I find to be quite questionable, including the one about the Great Fire of London, which took place in 1666. The quatrain, which many believe to be connected to the Great Fire, reads, The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of twenty-threes the six. The ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. It seems that many have interpreted the line, twenty-threes the six, as adding up to the number sixty-six. 
if you calculate 20 times 3 plus 6 which at first glance does feel a bit eerie until you think about how much more impactful it would be if the sum was actually 1,666 and not simply 66. And other than the mention of London, there's not much else that links the prophecy to this event. The Great Fire was started in a bakery, not by a lightning strike. And the line about the ancient lady seems to have no connection to the fire whatsoever. The same kind of patterns can be found in many other of the most frequently cited Nostradamus predictions too, from the rise of Hitler to power to the atomic bombs dropped on Japan by the United States in 1945. There are words in some of the quatrains which you could try and make fit with different historical events or figures, but it really can start to feel like a bit of a reach. Which leads us on to some of the main criticisms of Nostradamus and his writings many of which I must say I do agree with. Remember what I told you at the start of this episode, about the way in which he had to write to avoid getting into hot water and being accused of heresy. Nostradamus mixed different languages within his works, and wrote in this very poetic style. When you consider that a book written in just one language in the 1500s and reworked into English in the modern day would likely have some significant details lost in translation, you can only imagine how much more severe these losses of meaning would be within the prophecies. I'm sure it's also clear to you from what I've read out in this episode that many of the passages were very vague and open to a huge amount of interpretation. This is one of the most common criticisms of his works, but in a weird weird way is also something he's been praised for. A lot of those who have studied Nostradamus say that his words are interesting because they provide us with the tools to create these connections we like to seek out. And why? Because as humans we want to try and make sense of the world. And one way to do this is to create links between the past and the present, or even the past and the future. And maybe that's why so many people find a strange kind of comfort in these apparent vague prophecies. Though of course, many have questioned Nostradamus's credibility over the centuries. And the piece from The Guardian that I mentioned even notes that, quote, between about 1547 and 1555, he reportedly dictated 942 poetic, prophetic quatrains to his secretary while high on nutmeg, which causes hallucinations when taken in large doses. This would definitely help to explain some of the more obscure verses, to be honest with you. But what you can't deny is that Nostradamus definitely had the last word, as he actually predicted his own death. Granted, he only foresaw it the day before he passed away, but nonetheless, it feels fitting. He suffered with various medical ailments throughout his adult life, including gout and arthritis, and later with conditions that are believed to have led to congestive heart failure. As the story goes, on the 1st of July, 1566, the last words he spoke to his secretary were, you will not find me alive at sunrise. And he was correct as it's said that his lifeless body was found the next morning on the floor next to his bed. So, with everything considered, what do I think about Nostradamus's predictions? Well, I must say, I do feel like I've been a bit spoiled by the stories I told you about back in episode 19, where I did a deep dive into some of the most amazing predictions that have come from works of literature over the years. 
some of those predictions or coincidences, I guess, if you're less of a believer, were truly fascinating and completely bizarre. And whilst I do think that some of the details in Nostradamus's works are very odd, I think this could be an occasion where my logical brain wins out and I accept that I'm not completely convinced. I think there have been a few too many opportunities over the hundreds of years since the Prophecies book was written for translations to have been skewed slightly to fit the narrative of a particular event, or for them to be simply too far removed from their original to make a judgement on their accuracy either way. However, and this is a big however, I'm very open to being proven wrong. The very nature of a prophecy is that it predicts a future happening, and I do accept the possibility that perhaps the events just haven't taken place yet. Many publications are dedicated to tracking Nostradamus's writings, and they often do things like annual prediction articles for the year ahead, or look back on the year just gone, and I'm sure I'll be keeping an eye out for future pieces. During the course of my research, it has been pretty amazing to see just how many times the incorrect versions of his verses have been shared as fact, because then they much more neatly match up with the certain events that people want them to reflect. But it's also been refreshing to see that there are tons of articles dedicated to debunking the hoax writings too. One thing is certain though, if Nostradamus ever foresaw that his name would still be spoken almost 500 years after his death, that would be one prediction he got absolutely spot on. Well, 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 I cannot wait to know what you make of this week's story. Where do you land on the Nostradamus debate? Do you think his prophecies are all destined to come true and that it's just a matter of waiting for them? Are you a believer in any of the ones I've mentioned today and you think I might have overlooked certain details or not analysed them correctly? Are your thoughts more in line with mine where you're not necessarily a complete sceptic? but you struggle to totally get on board with everything he wrote? Or ultimately, do you think it's all a load of rubbish? I think there are some very interesting discussions to be had on this one. So as always, please feel free to send me all of your thoughts. Before we wrap up this episode though, it's time for our outro feature, Weird Media. When I realised what I wanted to tell you about today, I had to really stop and think about whether I'd already featured it in the Weird Media segment, because it's genuinely shocking to me that I haven't, but I will overlook it no more, as this week I wanted to shine the spotlight on one of the best zombie-related works of art I have ever seen, and it is All of Us Are Dead. It's a Korean horror drama series that you can find on Netflix, and it was one of my very favourite TV shows of last year. It's a kind of apocalypse slash coming-of-age story set mostly in a South Korean high school. And when I tell you I was glued to the screen for every second of the 12 episodes, it's no exaggeration. The story is great, the acting is incredible, and every scene is a complete roller coaster. I laughed and cried and was terrified. It really does have it all. But one of the most impressive things about the series is how beautifully choreographed the zombie scenes are. 
I'm not sure if I've ever really mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm an actress myself and I know how much goes into producing even the most straightforward shot of a scene, let alone the kinds of feats they achieved in All of Us Are Dead. It's kind of tricky to explain what I mean without giving anything away, but for example, there might be a scene in quite a physically small location involving dozens of zombies. And because they move so fast and so violently, the work that must have gone into the choreography to make it look so good blows my mind. And bear in mind that with it being centred around a school, many of the actors and supporting artists are teenagers and they just nailed it. I feel like you know when you're watching something that, as well as the special effects and the makeup and the staging, looks as awesome as it does because of the pure talent of the performers. It's a real treat of a show if you do enjoy the zombie apocalypse genre. And I believe a second series has actually been confirmed too, so I'll be keeping a close eye out for that. But if you have already watched All of Us Are Dead and you could recommend anything similar, I would love to hear about all of your favourites too to help tide me over until series two. So there were some fantastic sources which helped me with my research for today's episode. I mentioned a few of them along the way, but here's a full rundown. There was the article from The Guardian by Stuart Jeffries from October 2022, as well as that NBC news piece from back in September 2011. That one was written by Benjamin Radford. The History.com website, which I believe is operated by Sky History, was really useful. If you search Nostradamus over there, there are all sorts of articles which pop up. And I think I read almost all of them during the course of my research. There was also some great information on Britannica.org, as well as in an article from The Independent from December 2015 by Christina Sturbens and Robert Johnson. As I say, do let me know your viewpoints on this topic. I am fully willing to be convinced to take a second look at some of the specific predictions if you feel I've been too quick to disregard them. On Facebook, we have both the private discussion group and the main podcast page too. If you search things are about to get weird over there, you'll find both of those. I'd love you to join us on Instagram. Our handle is at thingsgetweirdpodcast. And on Twitter, you can find us at about to get weird. Our email address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com. And I am still collecting your own strange but true stories and experiences for our next bonus episode. If you have one that you'd like to share with me, please do feel free to pop me a note and I'll keep your story bookmarked for whenever the next bonus episode may be. We also have the Patreon page, which I will leave linked in the show notes for anyone who would like to show their support for the podcast that way. I'm super grateful to all of you who have joined me over there so far. If you've enjoyed today's episode, it would be amazing if you could leave me a quick rating or review wherever you listen. It all helps a huge amount and it really does mean a lot to me. Or if you'd prefer to share the love for the podcast on social media, that would be incredible. I always find that word of mouth is the best way to discover new shows. So everything along those lines is always fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today and I will see you again in a fortnight. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, for the good kind of weird. Thank you.